quick note before we begin, Pushing the A is not sponsored by anyone, nor is it approved by Maureen Menard. But you're listening anyways. Thank you for being a rebel. And we are back here on Pushing the A. It has been a long time since we last met. It's been months, in fact. We will be covering Chapter 16 today. Very exciting. Period 5. It's been a whole period since we last met. Pretty crazy times. All right. Let's get right into it. Uh, Today... We're talking about slavery, which is not exciting per se. Well, it is exciting. Um, it's not fun would be the word I would use. It's not enjoyable. Uh, it's important, though, so let's get to it. So, generally, we are looking at this trend where planters are moving south to the Gulf states. Uh, they're bringing more slaves to uh, work more land and make more cotton. Um, the North is profiting off of this system. They're transporting all this cotton to England, and then they're using that money to sell goods in the U.S., to buy goods to sell in the U.S. Cotton is half the value of the U.S. exports. This is not some fringe industry. This is large. And it is half the cotton in the world that comes from the American South. The British need this cotton pretty desperately because it employs one in five people uh, in their country, and 75% of the cotton they get is from the South. Um, So the South is sort of thinking like, this is way before Civil War, but the South is sort of thinking, if worst comes to worst, they've got our back. Before the Civil War, the South was mainly governed by uh, very few families, mainly planters. There were about 2,000 families in the entire South with 100 or more slaves. They ran the region, and because so many uh, political leaders came from the South, they really ran the nation Um, many were in public service, as I said earlier, but the South was generally a very undemocratic place, uh, and a huge wealth gap between the rich and the poor and between the poor and the slaves. It's, they were trying to spin this off as, this is an idealistic feudal society. Uh, Sir Walter Scott was their favorite author, um, where the woman run the female staffs, um, and, you know, the relationships are great between the families and the slaves. Um, none of these women believed in abolition. None of these women thought that slavery was morally repugnant. Slavery was a fact of the system. So cotton as a crop is generally a wasteful thing uh, when it's done wrong. It butchers land if you don't do it right. Uh, so the population, mainly small farmers, are moving west and moving to the northwest, um, which is fine for these large planters in the south because it means they can just increase their monopolies. Um, the large plantations in the south, though, are this unstable system because it's very easy to overspeculate on it, but these slaves are in reality very volatile. People are very easily broken and... Um, they cost a lot of money. $1,200 was around the asking price. Um, 
And also, we're just living in this one crop economy, right, where the world is setting the price and there's nothing to fall back on. The North, on the other hand, has diversified uh, its economy. Diversified? Diversified its economy. The North is on the rise. The South is like, never heard of this manufacturing thing, but have you heard about cotton? Because it's really big these days. The North, in the meantime, is getting super rich as a whole, um, and they're also generally middlemen to whenever the South want to send their cotton or anything away, the South has to use the North as middlemen. So there's sort of these South-North tensions on the rise. The South hates depending on Northern goods, Northern shovels, Northern coffins, whatnot, were the examples that uh, American pageant used. Um, the South is also very anti-immigrant. So as a function of that, because they did not like bringing anyone in, it became the most Anglo-Saxon place in the country, uh, and the land was super expensive to get. In case you notice, we're living in a lot of general facts right now, so probably something I should have said at the beginning of the episode, but if you feel like you got the general gist of slavery down and don't feel like you need to study this chapter for general basic background knowledge, I would advise you to skip ahead to the Chapter 17 podcast. Um, which I will reiterate at multiple points in case you're just skipping through, seeing if you can pick up some interesting factoids. So supposedly there are 1,733 families with 1,000 or more slaves. And then there are 345,000 others. Um, Two-thirds have fewer than 10 slaves. One, only one-fourth of whites in the South are owners. The typical small farmer that is an owner worked with his slaves in the field, to modest living. Below those small farmers are the non-owners who are known as redneck parasites in the north. But everyone defends the system even if it's not great for them because even if you don't own slaves you hope to be able to one day and it's you know it's this idea of the American dream and superiority of races and whites think that they're inherently superior to blacks which is inherently false. Um, but if you ever were wondering where racism came from, it's a, not a bad place to start. Um, the Appalachian whites, the whites sort of living in the area that we now know as West Virginia, sort of east of Kentucky, pieces of that area. I can't think of other states, but I guarantee there are others in the United States. Um, there are other states in the United States. The point being is that they're very different from the whites in the flatland in the south. Um, they're not really for slavery, they're not really pro-slave either, but they ultimately end up supporting the Union in the Civil War that we're going to have. Spoiler alert, there's going to be a Civil War soon. I hope you knew that if you're listening to this podcast. There are also some blacks that are free. Um, in the South, there are 250,000 by 1860. If you were a free African-American in the Upper South, uh, it's probably because you earned your freedom in the American Revolution, or rather, your grandparents did. If you earned your freedom in the American Revolution, it means you fought when you were zero, and you are now somewhere around 90 years old, which is very impressive. In the Lower South, um, it means that you're probably the child of a master, um, or you bought your freedom. And some of these people own the property and a small sliver, but the book likes to cover this because it has to be approved by Texas, own slaves. It's still very tough to be a free black. It is not, freedom does not equal equality. Um, there are also 250,000 in the North. 
they're seen as job competition by especially the Irish. So a lot of occupations are cut off to them. Even if you're a free black, you cannot testify against a white person in court, uh, and you can easily be forced back into slavery. Um, you can't vote in the North if you're a free black. You can't go to school, uh, at least to public schools. Um, a lot of states in the Irish hate them, and racism and anti-black sentiment in the North is extremely prevalent because whites are just generally pissed about slavery as a whole, but when it comes to the individual slaves themselves, which they haven't really thought about, well, I shouldn't say whites are generally pissed about slavery as a whole. I should say that Northerners are generally not opposed to slavery, but don't see it as morally correct or aren't fans. But when it comes to individual black people, um, they're a lot less courteous. Frederick Douglass, who, you know, we know as the hero, we know as the one of the smartest people to ever exist, etc. That's an exaggeration. Um, he was beaten up by a mob in Boston. We also had this idea of plantations back, transitioning back into the Deep South with that A-plus segue, only I'm pushing the A. Um, plantation slavery, we have this idea of plantation slavery as this very big, beautiful, luxurious system. It was not... Um, about four times the slaves that were present in 1800 uh, were present in 1860. So there were four million in 1860. The import business ended in 1808. The British ended the whole thing in 1807. There's supposedly this West African squadron taking ships and freeing slaves and their captives, um, or slave of captives, I should say. But it's a very hard thing to stop. Um, there's also supposedly a death penalty for being a slaver uh, in the United States. Shockingly, they get away with it a significant portion of the time. Um, there are still three million slaves that come to Brazil and to the West Indies, and thousands are smuggled into the South despite the end of this trade, um, and they're all going to these... This is basically all to the deep south if you're going into the south, which comes back to this idea of plantations and this cotton boom. Um, the internal trade of slavery also is on the rise, and reproduction, though not encouraged, um, it happens uh, mainly in the upper states. So if you look in Virginia, there's this huge population boom because there's family life happening, and there is this general sense of staying in place and when there's this population boom and Virginia has more slaves than it knows what to do with, they send them to the deep south. Slavery overall is a two billion dollar investment, um worth about eighteen hundred uh per person, which is a horrible thing to say. Um again, this I think is more the book trying to appeal to Texas, but it's sort of saying or trying to appeal to being approved by curriculums in the Mississippi public schools, but generally I think it talks about sort of saying, oh, they kept the slaves from doing the hard work or the dangerous work. They don't back it up with anything. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not true, but it seems a little Disney and 
magical, not magical, but seems a little far-fetched to me personally. Could be right. Don't know. Slavery overall for the South is very profitable. It is a very profitable profitable business to benefit from. It's very profitable to be in, but it hurts the overall economic development of the South because more people cannot raise themselves up. Um, more slaves are generally going to the Lower South, as we've said before, and the Lower South is now, the South in general is now majority black. The South is half slaves. A lot more kids are being born, and also as more kids and more families are coming through, this concept of the auction where families are split up um, to be sold comes into play, and it's absolutely horrible, and it becomes this staple of the slave trade in the United States. So let's talk a little about the conditions of slavery for the slaves. Um, They were bad. That's the end of the podcast, folks. That's all you need to know. You can go take your A-push test, and when it asks you about slave conditions, you can say that they were bad. Um, The living conditions, you're working dawn to dusk. You don't have any rights beyond arbitrary murder, in which case if you have been arbitrarily murdered, it's kind of hard to defend yourself. Um, There are some states that are saying you can't separate families. Again, hard to, um, there's a word for this, I know there's a word for this, hard to, it starts with an A, hard to, hard to enforce, E-A-R, the same letter now, fun fact, um, if you are to be punished, you're sent to breakers who flog slaves, um, without any mercy at all, book says, oh, not too many people were sent because it hurts the value of them. Again, Texas, Mississippi, keep it in mind. Um, By 1860, this is a well-established system. Most are in the Black Belt of the South, which is sort of the Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia area, South Carolina. Um, It's way worse in that area than it was ever in the North of the South, the Old South, the Virginia, the North Carolina area. Um, One positive that comes out of it, family identities are created in that kids begin to be named for grandparents. Um, Last names are taken on of, not ironically, maybe sadly of the former master. They don't marry their cousins, which in my opinion is a huge plus in the column of slavery. Uh, there's always this thing about, oh, the whites are so more civilized than the slaves. And in the meantime, the whites are marrying their cousins and the slaves are not. So take that, take that how you may. But generally, I would think that uh, a sign of civility is not marrying one's own cousins to keep the wealth in the bloodline. Just a thought. Just a thought, putting it out there. Um, they also bring into practice this thing uh, in preaching in Christianity where they have their own sort of unique and cool mix of religion between old traditional religions and Christianity with this responsorial style of preaching where the congregation can sort of respond back to the to the pastor, preacher. I don't know the term. It's very cool. Not cool. It's It's enjoyable, as Elizabeth would say. Overall, look at slavery as a system. The whites are getting more and more racist with time. 
Um, and the U.S. is the last country that has had huge economic strides in the past century that is still holding out on the slavery thing, which is degrading. It's stifling the American dream. It's stifling this right to education that fundamentally people have generally. Some slaves fight back. They work the absolute minimum. They take food from the house, goods from their own labor. They stop their equipment. They will poison their master if it comes to it, which there are obviously harsh punishments for and also obviously extremely understandable. Um, there are also some rebellions. In Virginia, there is a rebellion from a slave named Gabriel, or whose last name is Gabriel. I only wrote down the last name or first name Gabriel. It was the Gabriel Rebellion. It was in 1800. Did not end well. He was hanged. Uh, in South Carolina in 1822, Denmark Vesey tried to start a rebellion. He was also hanged. Uh, in 1831, this is the most famous rebellion, Nat Turner um, starts a rebellion and kills 60 Virginians. Um, and then many blacks are killed for this. This is The next one is less rebellion as more as it is a cool legal point in the American history books. In 1839, um, there's a ship, the Armistead, Armistead, where these Africans from Sierra Leone basically take over the ship near Cuba and try to direct themselves back home. They end up stranded off of Long Island, um, and the U.S. jails them. John Quincy Adams argues for them in court, and they are permitted to return back to Sierra Leone. Not bad. Abolition... Um, was very different in the early days of slavery. Not the early days, but the 1800s pre-Civil War, antebellum 1800s. The horrors of slavery are generally slowly spreading through the North, the ideas of it. Um, so the first abolitionists are the Quakers, which makes sense. The Quakers have always been pretty progressive. Um, there's this idea of sending African-Americans back to Africa, which is the American Colonization Society in 1817. They established Liberia in 1822. 15,000 freed slaves go to start it. Um, most slaves are not interested because they are not Africans. They are African-Americans and Africa, although a core part of their identity, their identity is not their identity. It is not where they feel at home. Um, the Second Great Awakening occurs sometime in the 1820-30s-ish area. Religion begins to play a part in this. William Wilberforce uh, in Britain frees the West Indies uh, from slavery. So Britain said, oh, there's no more slavery in England. And then, meanwhile, they're leaving slavery everywhere else. So William Wilberforce ends that. Um Abolition overalls on the rise throughout the early 18th century. The Tappan Bros, Tappan Zee Bridge, for all you New York visitors out there, pay for T.D. Weld, I think Theodore Weld, um, who is a very simple preacher and appeals simply going through the Northwest and preaching about the horrors of slavery. Uh, and he gets him in, they get him into seminary, and then he is kicked out for organizing a debate about slavery, which is... A little problematic if you think about it. Alright, I think it is time for some classic Pushing the A sponsorships. Uh, if anyone's listening to this, we definitely need a name for all four of you who listen to this. So, please, if you come up with a uh, fan base name, let me know. I decided to start doing... 
acronyms for our sponsors. The first is Audible, which stands for A. You don't idiomize books like America. Audible, over one trillion books. Uh, Mustafa is a sponsor now. My apologies to Mustafa. Mustafa stands for My Underwear Sucks. Try a fursuit, Armando. Mustafa. Okay. Uh, brought to you by Green Glass of Water for quenching one's thirst. And brought to you by Heinz Ketchup because I'm recording in the kitchen. Heinz Ketchup for when you're recording in the kitchen. Is that, that good? Does that, does that work for you guys? Okay, home stretch. Here we go. Radical abolitionism. So on January 1st, 1831, William Lloyd Garrison starts this anti-slavery newspaper, The Liberator, and it's beginning this ginormous war of words. Um, in 1833, the American Anti-Slave Society is established. Uh, Wendell Phillips, cool guy, says, you know what? I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm not going to wear cotton until slavery ends. Black abolitionists are also involved. David Walker writes this book, Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World in 1829, which is basically a call to slaves to rise up and kill their masters. Understandable. Surgeon or Truth, Martin Delaney, other notable names, Frederick Douglass, has a speech uh, in a anti-slavery meeting, and he is discovered uh, in 1840, in 1841 after escaping in 1838. Goes on this lecture, tours, right, this narrative of his life. And comparing to him to Garrison, who just stirred up tension really recklessly without any endgame, Douglas is a person who really used politics smartly and concisely and well, because he maybe he understood, I think, better than I think I think he understood it better than Garrison really did. Um there are parties of abolition throughout the years. So in 1840, the first that comes up is the Liberty Party. Um, then the Free Soil Party in 1848 replaces them. And in 1850, the Republican Party comes in. That's the party that's going to be the endgame party. Support for a potential war starts going up. Potential war between the North and the South. This could be worth it in the end. This is a great evil. Maybe this could be worth it. The South, on the other hand, is less happy about this. There's some abolitionism there below the Mason-Dixon line, which is Pennsylvania. That dies in the 1830s when the Virginia legislature shoots down any emancipation ever. Nat Turner's Rebellion, the Haiti Rebellion, the Liberator, the Nolly Crisis, all of this contributes to this growing Southern anxiety that the whites are coming in there, not the whites, but that the abolitionists are coming in there, coming for your slaves. So the codes tighten on slaves, especially post-Turner. There will never be any emancipation. There is a price tag on Garrison's head in Georgia. Um, the South is just generally worried about Northern overstep. Uh, they're comparing abolitionists to devils. You can go to jail for debating slavery. Um, then they do this weird thing where they decide to start to rationalize slavery because the Bible says you can have slavery and Aristotle talked about it. And 
there's a word on my note card here. I know it does not say calculus, nor does it say calculator. But just know that C-A-L something was logic for slavery, why it was okay. They're reclaiming, oh, it's a family. You can't split up the family between the between the masters and the slaves, which maybe a tiny micro ounce of truth to it in the border states of Maryland and Virginia. Not much, though. The South, so the South is going on this crusade. It's like, hey, slavery is good. The North is like, what the hell are you talking about? You are very wrong, at least the abolitionists in the North. The South says, I don't know if you were allowed to say that. And then they promptly pass a gag resolution, which basically says in Congress, you can never bring up anything about slavery. You can't bring up an anti-slavery appeal. John Quincy Adams does not. John Quincy Adams is infuriated. He spends eight years trying to repeal it. He does it eight years later. When abolition propaganda is sent in the mail to the South, the logical response, of course, is to go and burn the post office because that's what you do. When you don't, what, when you don't like what's in the mail, you burn down the place that's delivering it. Uh, Washington says, not George Washington, he's dead. Um, but Washington, the city, Congress really would be the word here, says, okay, you know what? If you see any abolitionist paraphernalia, is paraphernalia the right word here? This is what you get when you feel like it has some other meaning. Paraphernalia. Miscellaneous articles, especially the equipment needed for a particular activity. Okay. So you've heard it and other things, but you know what? Moving on. Um, Garrison is unpopular in the North, um, but the general thought in the North is, you know what? We're going to deal with slavery for the sake of the Union, and we also have this economic stake in the South. They owe us $300 million. Um, we don't want to lose that or the cotton that really holds the Union together. Um, the North is not major, major majority abolitionist. 1850, this begins to change. The North starts sort of talking about how the South is hateful. Um, and they don't want to abolish slavery, but they're certainly against extending it, which leads to this concept of free soilers. So that, I believe, wraps up chapter 16, which is your general overview of slavery before we dive deep into the whole institution and start going to war, which is pretty freaking exciting. We're almost in the 1860s, folks. We've come a long way since episode one in the 1800s. What's going to happen next? We don't know. I, I hope you know. It's a civil war. The North is going to win. Just going to put that out there in case I ever make a allusion to that fact. Or an allusion to that, the North will not win. The North is going to win this war. Slavery will end, which I really hope you know if you are in this class that the North is going to win this civil war. Not judging if you... No, I'm, I'm judging you if you don't. All right. Is that it? I think that's it. Thank you for listening. I'll see you in chapter 17.